day and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you've been inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. I've got to know Jeff a little bit, so I thought it was time that you got to know me a little bit. So I wanted to give you, uh, I, I guess, a brief... Um, a brief snapshot of my journey. Um, I've been a Christian over 40 years, and um, I kind of came from a completely unchurched family. And I took myself off to church as a little kind of nine-year-old, eight-year-old, and stayed. And when I was 14, it was the first time somebody actually asked me if I wanted Jesus in my heart. So I said yes. So it took all those years for somebody to ask the question, so don't be shy about asking the question. I have been a psychologist for over, 20, over 30 years, actually. And, um, and I know that as I was studying psychology at university, I was studying things like how we remember things, how we learn things, how we think about things. And, and I was fascinated by it. I loved it. And I, I know that I felt God say to me, you need to get the piece of paper and then I'm going to teach you. And so when I was in my mid-30s, I just had my second child. Um, I, um, I, I worked in ministry in a church um, overseeing the pastoral care area. And, um, and I did that for 16 years. And it was, um, it was then that I discovered something. And that was that in the Pentecostal church at that time, um, being a psychologist was likened to being of the devil. I, no, somebody forgot to tell me. And I began to realise the tension that existed between the, the area of, of psychology and the modern Pentecostal church. And in actual fact, if you, if you look at the history of the two of them, at the turn of the 20th century... It was Freud, the father of psychology, who began to speak about the human condition. And, um, and psychology is the study of human behaviour. Around the same time, um, uh, in America, there was the rise of modern Pentecostalism through Azusa Street. And you see these two kind of fairly strong forces dominating um, the 20th century. And uh, you see the world of psychology beginning to shape ideas, beginning to shape ideas of where do you go when you have problems. Rather than going to your clergy or vicar, you now go to a psychologist or psychotherapist. Um, where do you go to interpret dreams? You used to go to, um, to God as the interpreter of dreams. You now go to a psychotherapist. There was the rise of the individual and the rise of the power of the individual. And you see uh, people like Carl Rogers, who was a f strong force for humanism. He was the, um, the son of a very religious person and was planning to become a priest when he decided to become a psychologist. And you see him being a very, very dominant force um, in, um, in the thinking of the 20th century. And, and, and that thinking is... It's, if, if it feels good, do it. That um, 
that we need to deconstruct institutions like the church and marriage and, and let things be very free and unfettered. And we see in our 21st century the, the effect of that type of thinking. And you saw through the 20th century the Pentecostal church sort of lob things at the psycho- psychology area and you see the psychologists really um, put up barriers against any type of religious thinking and, and really be quite opposed to it. Until you come into the 21st century. And in the 21st century, the area of psychology has realised that it's got some things missing. And so it's embracing things like Buddhism. And you go and look at some of your therapies now and their um, acceptance and commitment therapy, mindfulness therapy, meditation therapy, thankfulness therapy. And there are all these very um, uh, uh, Buddhism-like therapeutic practices that are coming in. There's a spirituality that's coming in. But, but still, the area of the church is, is at loggerheads with, um, with the area of psychology. I'm currently now doing my doctorate in the University of New South Wales. And I have the privilege of testing young, amazing, creative people in our premier creative colleges right in the centre of the city. And, um, and there is such a vehement opposition to anything to do with the church in those areas. And I am there, uh, underground, so to speak, studying things like spirituality, creativity and mental health. Because I think that the human condition has not been served by these two opposing forces not talking particularly well. Uh, and, um, and I think that we need to begin to talk a little bit more because um, I see, I'm in private practice as well, and I see quite a number of Christians and I see them struggle with things that they shouldn't be struggling with because they've got ideas about how they should be coping. They've got ideas of not taking med- medication. They've got ideas of God wants them to not get the type of help that is available for them. And I see them kind of going round and round in circles when um, people that don't have faith don't have those struggles. So, um, so I think it's time in the 21st century that we begin to talk and we begin to have some ideas about what it means to, um, to learn from the area of psychology on human condition in some ways, but also for the church not to be frightened of the area of psychology and to, in fact, begin to have some dialogue because they need it. They need the spirituality. They need the disciplines that are part of our faith. So... Um, I want to, I, I guess, put some sort of kind of concept around the idea of how we can begin to, um, to look at the area of healing fr- from the lens of a psychologist, I guess. And um, it, it says in, Ma- if I can have the first slide up, it says in Matthew four twenty three to 25, Jesus went around all Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the realm and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. 
Now, that word, we've only got one word for healing in, um, in our, our English. But the Greeks had four words for healing. And the word for healing that is used in this context is the word therapeuo. And I'll just get the, the next slide up. Um, I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to translate that for you. But that's, uh, I guess, an unpacking of what the word therapeuo means. And um, if I can go to the next slide. Um, so therapeuo involves physical and the psychological beliefs, emotions, and behavior. That involves a permanent change of lifestyle. There is some sort of emotional support involved. It may be rapid or it may be slow. The person is both healed and takes an active part in the healing process. And it is the most popular use of the word healing in the New Testament. So you're kind of getting some idea when it says that Jesus went around healing all those. He was talking about the fact that these people had a shift of belief, had a shift of behavior. They took an active part of the healing process. Sometimes that process was rapid. And I think really in Jesus' time, it was often very rapid. Sometimes it took some time. But it really involved this, this partnership between the power and the spirit of God and the person shifting things of thinking, emotions, behavior, involved in an, in an environment and a community of support. That's what it means when, um, uh, that's what therapeuo means. There are a couple of other words for healing, and I'll just briefly touch on those. If I can get the next slide. So the other word for healing is a maya. Now, I, I don't know how to pronounce Greek, so I'm guessing. So if there's somebody that does know how to pronounce Greek, my apologies. Um, so amaya, that's instantly and divinely healed. So that word is used when the centurion comes to Jesus and Jesus said, do you want me to heal your son? And, um, and, Jesus, and, and the centurion said, you just have to speak the word and um, uh, uh, he will be amaya, instantly and divinely healed. That's where that word is used. The word, I, I think of the word huggies, but it's probably not. And I immediately go to nappies, but it's probably not. Um, huggies, I'll, we'll just put, means restored to its original undamaged state. So when Jesus said to the man with a crippled arm, stretch out your arm, it was restored to its original un, undamaged state. That's that word in that context of healing. The third one is sozo, rescue and preserve and delivered from suffering. So when the woman came to Jesus, you know, we call it the woman with the issue of blood. And when the woman comes to Jesus and touches his cloak, that healing is sozo healing, rescued and preserved. But mostly in scripture, there is therapeuo healing. Um, which, which is an active part, means that we have to be active in this healing process. And it means that for Christians, uh, they may have come down, they may have received healing for something like anxiety, depression, other troubles. 
and they go away and go, well, God didn't heal me. He didn't, and may I heal me. But he may be therapeutic healing you, but he needs you to take an active part in it. He needs you to be actively involved in that process. Um, and he is desperate to partner with you to, to be part of his therapeutic healing. And we get a glimpse of this when Jesus heals the man at Gate Beautiful. Because he heals him, you know, he, he says, rise up and walk, and he walked. And then he talks to the man later, and he said, stop sinning, or you may be in a worse state. And I, you know, I, I, I hate the fact that you don't get all the backstory. I, you know, and I'm a psychologist, so I like to put in a little bit of the backstory. So my impression from reading that is that he went straight away to the Pharisees, the enemy, certain Jews, the baddies, and talked to them, and so they targeted Jesus. So my guess is that he didn't give up the sin, whatever the sin was, and he was in a worse state. So clearly, part of his healing was shifting some of the sin and behavior. Um, so I guess our question is how do we engage in the therapeutic healing in our life? And here I want to just shift a little bit to Julie the therapist, Julie the psychologist. I want to talk to you about um, this, uh, this thing called schemas. If I can get the next slide. Schemas are extremely stable and enduring negative beliefs, patterns of thinking and behaviour that developed during childhood and adolescence and are continued through our adulthood. It's different from our kind of just dialogue in our head, our self-talk. These are deep, deep beliefs that we often don't even have words for, but we react out of. And... Um, Psychologists have kind of come up with a whole lot of different ideas of what these schemas may be. Um, these are some of the ones that I think are really dominant. If we can have the, the next slide. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll confess my primary schema if you own up to what might be your primary schema. So some of these are, do you believe you are always on the verge of experiencing a major catastrophe? Now, here, I've got to talk to you about my mother-in-law, who is now dead. But my mother-in-law had this pervasive view that a major catastrophe was about to happen. In fact, she would watch the news and read everything and listen to the radio. And if there was a disaster, she would immediately imagine that Jeff and I and our children were going to be in that disaster. In actual fact, I couldn't drive 20 minutes from her place to my place without her imagining all sorts of disasters. So I had to ring her when I got home 20 minutes away and say, we arrived safely. So she was somebody who had this pervasive view that she was on the brink of major disaster minute by minute, second by second. And I know none of you have that. I know that you may have a friend who has that. But none of you would ever have that. 
The other is, do you always focus on the negative? And I was talking to, when I talk about clients, I'm going to talk to, about them very sort of generically because um, obviously I, I don't want to kind of identify anyone. But I was talking to a client um, on Friday and, um, and she just constantly went to the negative, even though the positive was there, in, like facing her. And she would say what the good thing was. She would just always go to the negative. She had this pervasive view that everything was negative um, in her life, and had these like glasses on, these thick black glasses in which she viewed the whole world. Um, the third one is, and there's a misspelling mistake there. Um, do you believe that you are unable to perform as well as other people? Do you find yourself having to work really, really hard all the time because you never quite think you're good enough. Never, never, never quite think you're good enough. I was doing a, a group um, uh, over the last couple of weeks, a therapeutic group uh, for creative people on building resilience. And we were exploring some of these, um, these schemas. This one was the biggie. This one pretty much all in the room had... And I went out there and I said, yep, that's the one that I'm probably uh, have the most difficulty with. I never quite think I'm good enough. So there's a feeling of having to kind of work really, really hard. And it's these kind of schemas that, um, that form in us. That even, even though we're Christian, even though we know scripture, even though we tell... Um, scripture to us, these schemas are our default position. And I, I want to give you another little bit of psychology. This is, this is neuroscience, and I'm not very good at it, but I love it. In our brain, we have got a P-shaped part of our brain called the amygdala. It's right in the middle of our brain. And this amygdala is the center of strong emotion. Let's say... As a four-year-old, your father left and you had this overwhelming feeling of rejection and abandonment and the belief that you weren't good enough. That feeling would be stored as memory in the amygdala and you couldn't remember it. It would only be triggered. So let's say, for example, 20 years later, your boyfriend leaves you you would immediately have that memory triggered and you would experience the same overwhelming feeling of being abandoned and rejected like when your father left you. And along with the belief, I'm never going to be good enough. Don't let anyone get close to me because they're just going to leave me. And it's that emotion and belief that is your default, this is your schema. So what can the power of God do in, in this situation? Because um, the thing with, the, the, thing with the, the amygdala, and this is one thing I will ask Jesus about, the amygdala has no direct connection to the thinking part of our brain, a problem-solving part of our brain. It's disconnected. That means we can't think our way out of believing that. Moreover, that 
part of our memory is only triggered. And it's only triggered when we get into situations where we feel abandoned or rejected. So how on earth do we go about healing that? Because you see this with Christians, where they're coming down the front, they're quoting scripture, they're doing all sorts of things to try and, and not have those feelings, not have the recurring feelings of abandonment or rejection or not being good enough or always seeing the negative or believing they're on the verge of catastrophe. And you've got to approach it in a different way. It's not kind of working hard and gritting your teeth and, and, and getting prayer. You've got to do some other things. You have to engage with the therapeuo healing. What psychologists say is for that particular type of healing, you are triggered, you recognize the belief, and the bad thing doesn't happen. So in church, this is what it looks like. You come in as this 24-year-old. Um, you, you have Pastor Fred who doesn't talk to you. You have this feeling of being abandoned and re- rejected. But you don't leave. You begin to say that's not true. You be- begin to believe God loves you. You look around and you get a hug from somebody. And that happens again and again and again until your little amygdala says, we need to believe something else. That's therapeutic healing. You have the power of God going, no, I love you. You have the power of God saying, no, see um, James down there. He comes up and gives you a hug in Christian love, of course. You have Mary over there who just feels God speaking to her to ring you up and say, you know, we really care about you. You go and say, look, I don't know why, but I'm just feeling so rejected and abandoned. Somebody prays for you. That's therapeutic healing in the house of God amongst a loving community. That's what, what, how, how we get healed over time. But it takes the understanding that it's not just the Amai healing, that it takes work on our behalf. It takes us doing different things. It takes us believing different things again and again and again. It takes a community of, of love and support around us. It takes us continuing to step into that community rather than withdrawing, abandoning, running away. That's what it takes for that sort of healing. So um, to give you an example of this, I had a a client, one of my sort of generic uh, clients, and she came to me with a skin condition. And um, an amazing Christian woman, just a beautiful Christian woman, but she engaged in the therapeutic healing. And, um, and as we began to talk, her, her mother had died uh, from cancer when she was 12. And her father was very harsh and brutal and, and quite, quite abusive of her. And she believed that she was never good enough. And so as a woman in her late 40s, she was under huge stress, would just do whatever anyone told her to do, and was so stressed that her body was reacting to the stress. 
as we unpacked that, and for her it was a journey of her listening to what the Spirit of God was saying. She had dreams and visions. We would talk and, and understand what, was re- what her beliefs were, what her schema was. And we began challenging and changing that schema. And so her skin condition started to, to diminish. And so she changed her job because she no longer had to work hard to perform. She actually met and, um, and started to go out with this amazing man. And she relocated to another country and that's when I left the story. But I imagine her in a relationship, maybe even married, in a job that really sits with her feeling a a congruence with what's on the inside of her and what's on the outside, no longer happening, no no longer having to perform and work hard. She experienced therapeutic healing. So I guess I want to invite you as I invite my husband up to play. Um, I want to invite you, and I'm, I'm going to get you to sit in your seats because I guess this is a time for you to make contract with the Spirit of God that's here, the therapeutic healing that is here. And this is the contract of this is what I will do. These are the behaviors that I'm going to begin to change. And it's okay that it's going to take me a little bit of time because I've had these things for a little while. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm prepared for the journey and for the work. And this is a contract with God. He says, I'm going to walk with you with this. We're in this healing together. I'm, I'm going to help you. I've got the counselor comforter, the one who leads you into all truth. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, is there within you, around you, in your community. And we are partnering for your healing. And when you get triggered by the stuff, the negative, the scared, the bad, um, the sad, that it's the Spirit of God that will, will walk with you in this. It's kind of like you, you've got two storybooks running in your head. One of those storybooks is the sad, the bad, the sad storybook. And you have the most amazing imagination to imagine the scary, to imagine the bad, to imagine the sad. And you, you feel your, your brain with the imaginings of the sad, bad, scary. Like watching 24-7 Groundhog Day of disaster movies or scary movies or bad movies all the time. And we know as psychologists that what you visualise will happen. So if you visualise the scary, you're going to set yourself up for the scary. If you visualise the bad, you're going to set yourself up for the bad. If you visualise the sad, you're going to set yourself up for the sad. So you have this book in, inside of you. And you've got another book 
you've got the true book. And the true book doesn't give you the everything's going to be all right all the time and um, and and, and so because sometimes you know things aren't great that happen to us but it's not going to be the things that you imagine your imagining of the bad sad scary is not going to happen you need to embrace the true the true story, the true stealth story for you. And that self story is about you being unique, you being loved, you being special, you having a call on you, you being part of a community. That's part of the true story that that you have. And you can imagine the true story or you can imagine the bad, sad, scary story. That's some of the change of behaviour that is part of Therapuo healing. You can choose right now what you're going to imagine. So I'll get everyone to close their eyes. This is your contract with the living God for you, for your Therapuo healing. And even if you feel that, you know, you go... I'm doing okay. I can't identify anything really that's going on for me. Just let the Spirit of God just show you things. Changing behavior, changing beliefs, giving yourself time, changing your imagination, telling yourself a different story. Let yourself do that contract with the living God right now. And I'm going to ask some questions. And again, as I ask the questions, I want everyone to keep their eyes closed. If you suffer from depression, just lift your hand up. Okay. And so, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you will contract with these people. That you will pour out your healing on them. You know, Lord... I am just bold enough to go, um, I believe that you will partner with these people and see them set free from depression. And that this, this time will be a significant time in their journey of healing from depression. And they may have learned depression from their parents, from their family. But we have new heritage and we can shift that. We can shift bad beliefs. We can shift wrong behaviour. And I believe, 
Lord Jesus, that you are setting them free. You are healing them as you healed them 2,000 years ago. And for some of you, it's like there are clamps around your, your, your brain. Clamps of torment. And I believe the Spirit of God is releasing those clamps right now. For some of you, you are plagued by negative spiritual forces that just keep trying to push you. And we, we join together as a community by the authority of Jesus and we say no more. We say no more. We as a community um, of love surrounding you, we say no more. Leave these people. Leave them. And I say to you, don't go back anymore. Don't go back to where you know they will be. Don't go back to seeing the things, to thinking the things, to, to visiting the friends, to doing the things. Because those who the sun sets free are free indeed. Again, with everyone with their eyes closed, lift up your hands if you, you're experiencing anxiety. Jesus, I ask that your peace will enter their heads, that your peace will create a still place in their thinking, that as your word says, that the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep, will guard our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. I ask that you will so invade their thinking that the, the peace of God will guard them against the anxiety and they will learn not to go where the anxiety is. They will deconstruct the schemas that fuel the anxiety. every eye closed again I want you to lift up your hand if you've experienced a significant trauma early in your life Holy thank you put your hand down Lord Jesus I am I'm asking that you do a miraculous work of reconstruction and deconstruction. That you place in their hands the tools that they need to walk day by day in freedom and release and relief.
Well, we pray you've been blessed by this message from Noosa Christian Outreach Church. For more information, please check out our website at www.noosacoc.org.au. See you soon.